Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and that makes this Stuff You Should Know, the podcast, the um, ripoff of stuff they don't want you to know in this particular episode. That's right. But that's not the case at all. I was just singing Barry Manilow to Josh right before we recorded. I, yeah, what song is it? He has he a had song a called song. Bermuda Triangle? Yep, he had a song called the Bermuda Triangle, and I think I remember the gist of it was that... Uh, the Bermuda Triangle not only makes ships and planes disappear, but people from your love life will disappear as well. They sail through the Bermuda Triangle? I, I don't know. I don't remember. But I was, as I told you, I was big into Barry Manilow as a kid. Yeah. So for some reason, when I was eight, I just thought he was the bee's knees. He's very cool. Yeah. If you ask me, Yumi has every single one of his records at home, so I'll have to go home and root that song out. I still have. Get to the bottom of it. I still have mine in the attic. Yeah. Do you? Oh, yeah. Sweet. Do you have a nice record collection hidden up in the attic? Um, I've got about two crates. Oh, wow. Not not a ton. But I'll bet they're choice. Yeah, they're pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you have it. The Bermuda Triangle. Thank you, everybody. The records range from Barry Manilow to, like, Molly Hatchet. So that tells you what happened between ages 9 and 15 for That's me. funny. <laughs> Um, Chuck. Josh. You want to get to this? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you were a kid. You just admitted to being a kid once. I was once. Um, so, of course, the Bermuda Triangle must have struck your fancy at some point. Well, in the 70s, it was a big deal. Like, I remember it being a big deal in the 70s, and I was kind of thinking, you know, you never hear about it anymore. But I think it was due to the book. Charles Berlitz's book came out in 1974. What was it called? The Bermuda Triangle. Oh, uh, oh, it's the Bermuda Triangle. Um, oh no, that's a different one. No, no, no. His was just the Bermuda Triangle, but his sold twenty million copies. And like, <laughs> I remember this being a big deal at the time. It was like on the Mike Douglas show, and yeah. So that, I think that's why it was so big in the seventies. People were dumber back then. Plus Barry Manilow, that was in the seventies. It was. I'll bet it. He wrote that song after the book. Probably came out. so. Um, well, do you want to just talk about this? My intro wasn't that good anyway, so you want to just get into the Bermuda Triangle? The intro disappeared, <laughs> like so many ships at sea. <laughs> that was very good, Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Thank you. Um, so we think of the Bermuda Triangle as this old, possibly ancient, possibly lost mystery mm-hmm. um, that is that forms a triangle. It's a geographical, made-up, fictitious geographical area bounded or, or with its points between San Juan, Puerto Rico, um, Bermuda, yeah. greatly enough, and Miami. Yeah. Um, it's real, but it's just not like it's not recognized by any official uh, geographic bodies. Right. But if you look at a map, you could also make a Bermuda quadrahedron with like eight <laughs> other places, too. So, yeah. yeah, it's as real as the Bermuda quadrahedron. Um <laughs> It's not real if you are a member of the U.S. Board of Geographic Names because they don't recognize it formally. Most people don't, um, not officially at least. That's right. Um, but I was saying that, you know, it seems like it's been around a long time. It wasn't until 1964 that it got its name. Did you know that? I did because we actually researched this a long time ago and didn't do it for some reason. So I knew it from then. Oh, okay. But only from then. Um and there, there's, I mean, if you are into this kind of thing, you are well aware that there have been hundreds and hundreds of ships 
that have gone missing over, say, the past century. Um, planes, ships, cars somehow. People just gone. Depends on who you ask. Right. Well, it depends on, you know, how, like I say, if you're into it or not. And basically the key to the Bermuda Triangle is statistics. How you take statistics. Yeah. How you either manipulate them yourselves or, or how you accept statistics at face value. Yeah. Is probably a pretty good indicator about how you feel about the Bermuda Triangle. And life. Um, there's been all sorts of explanations from, uh, basically natural phenomenon sure to the idea that atlantis is down there somewhere which we'll get into to the idea that it's really no different than anywhere else and it's just a bunch of uh sensationalism yes but no matter how you look at the bermuda triangle it encompasses about five hundred thousand square miles yeah it's huge and extremely well traveled yeah area it's not off the beaten path at all no you, you, a lot of people want to go to Bermuda. Well, the Bahamas is in there. I mean, come on. Yeah, plus it's just uh, it's just a heavily traveled route and area. Right. As far as shipping goes, I imagine too. Right. Yes. So, um, supposedly, there's been as many as a hundred ships and a thousand lives lost in the Bermuda Triangle in the last century. Right. That's what some say. Some say. Yeah. Part of the problem is the Coast Guard supposedly says that it doesn't that there's not an unusual amount of incidents there that, okay, a thousand people have died and a hundred ships have been lost in the last hundred years. Big whoop. Yeah, that's nothing. Yeah. Um, other people say, no, that's not the case. Uh, Lloyds of London, which by the way, Chuck, if you listen to the coffee yeah. podcast, the tie that binds coffee to Bermuda Triangle is Lloyds of London. That's right. Uh, in 1975, the editor of Fate Magazine, Mary Margaret Fuller, um, she contacted Lloyd's of London and said, hey, um, can you give me a list of payoffs uh, for the the Bermuda Triangle? And Lloyd said, sure, we can. Of course, we do this thing all the time. And um, 428 vessels were reported missing throughout the world between 1955 and 1975. Yeah. And the Bermuda Triangle didn't have any significantly higher incidents than any other area, supposedly. Right, which is why the insurance premiums, the Bermuda Triangle, are no different than anywhere else as well. Yes. We should point out. Yeah. Uh, if you ask a guy... I love this guy's name. ...named uh, Gian, this, with a G, I-A-N-J, Kassar. K- I s- Qu- Qu- let's just come on and say it. Quasar. Gian Quasar. Gian J. Quasar. Is that, is that supposed to mean That's something? what I'm calling him. All right. Have you been to his page? No. I, actually, that's not true. He he um he he's the administrator of Bermuda-Triangle.org. Yeah, and I believe I have been to that page before. And he's the author of Into the Bermuda Triangle: Colon, Pursuing the Truth Behind the World's Greatest Mystery. Yes. Uh, I went to his site because I felt like I owed it to him to check this out. Yeah. And it is another one of those sites that looks like a MySpace page from like 2002. Yeah. And it doesn't draw you in as far as looking valid. Right. I'm not saying it's not. But it doesn't look super professional. There has there's like text that's overlapping the images, and some pages don't load. Like user, a good user experience yeah. adds tremendous veracity to one's fantastic claims. It really does, Mister Quasar. We mean it. If you update your user experience, yeah, people will listen more. Yeah, 
I would have honestly stayed on the site a lot longer. I'd been like, oh, let me look at this. But as soon as I saw it, I went, oh, come on. But despite his lack of web... Design skill? Yes. <laughs> yeah. He has like put a lot of time and effort and energy into researching the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah, and he's tons. one of the ones that says, hey, Lloyd's of London, that's, that's, a, that's, why would you go to Lloyd's of London? That's what he says. Well, he says that Lloyd's of London doesn't even uh, keep track of uh, smaller craft, mm-hmm. and a lot of these smaller craft are missing, and they don't even insure yachts, which is not true. I looked that up. I thought that was odd. I'm glad you looked that up. I don't know if they're the, maybe he means yachts of a certain size, yeah. but they definitely insure yachts. In fact, they were, ironically, if I'm not mistaken, the originators of maritime insurance way back when. Wow. I might be wrong, but I, I thought I remember reading I don't that. think you're wrong. Okay. Um, so, well, Mr. Quasar went to the Coast Guard instead. Quasar. Uh, the Coast Guard has um, definitive records on missing vessels, yeah. but they call them um, delayed. Overdue. Overdue yeah. vessels. Like a three-hour tour that hasn't come back. Yes, yeah, so it, it's overdue. It's supposed to be there after three hours, 100 and 80,000 hours ago. Right. So it's a, a very long overdue. So uh, Mr. Quasar found that, um, that he he was he says that he was given data on overdue vessels um, after asking for 12 years <laughs> and found that in the previous two years, the Coast Guard had records of 300 missing or overdue vessels. Now, does that mean that they were still overdue or they were overdue by a couple hours and they were just at one point listed as overdue? That is an excellent question. I didn't get that. That is a no. very good question. Well, I hope this guy listens to the podcast. Maybe he can tell us. I'll bet we could contact him through his website, too. I bet it's not that hard. Uh, he also went to the National Transportation Safety Board and looked at their database and said, hey, okay, let's just take a random place then if the Bermuda Triangle is no different than any other area. Sure. How about off the coast of New England? Uh, and we'll say for the last 10 years, there's only been a few disappearances yeah. of vessels. In the Bermuda Triangle over that same time period, 30. I would ask Mr. Quasar, like, just give me more stats. Like, did he compare the amount of travel? Was it all equalized? Right. Weather? Right. Did he take everything into consideration? Right. And, I mean, maybe the the coast of New England has a disproportionately low amount of missing vessels, whereas the Gulf of Mexico or the Pacific Ocean has higher than the Bermuda Triangle. Right. So it also depends on what you're comparing it to. Or did they have a lot of boats sink that they found because the water wasn't as deep or was easily accessible Mm -hmm. uh, because he's talking about disappearances. Right. Like where you never find wreckage. Right. Um, So I guess Gian Quasar, Gian J. Quasar, um, is a torchbearer of a very long line of people who have really sunk their teeth and time and energy into this solving this mystery or, or or possibly even promoting something that isn't a mystery as a mystery. Yes. Because they genuinely believe it. That's true. Um, and probably what's, what kicked the whole thing off, um, at least in the public's imagination, was the missing squadron, the lost flight, uh, Flight 19, which Chuck actually disappeared um, in ni- 66 years ago last week. Oh, yeah? Yeah, they had a little ceremony down at um, Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport um, to honor the 14 servicemen who were lost on that flight, huh. Flight 19. Very sad. But that was that made huge headlines. Yeah, I mean, you want to go ahead and tell the story? Yeah, let's talk about Flight 19. Um, 
And, you know, I want to point out that this is one of the leading stories. And, in fact, when you go back and look at all the research, a lot of this is based on a handful of stories that have been retold over and over and over by all these different people. So it seems like there's more than there are? No. It's just the, the whole the the whole uh, mystery of the Bermuda Triangle uh-huh. is based on a handful of disappearances that are noted, no, noteworthy. Oh, I got gotcha. you. And not like... Hundred, right? Okay. So, uh, U.S. Navy Avengers Flight 19, 1945. Yeah. Uh, five missing Navy pilot uh, Avengers. I guess is that the uh, kind of plane? Yeah, they're uh, Navy Grumman TBF Avengers. They were uh, propeller planes, fighter fighter jets, or fighter prop planes from the end of the war. Okay, so they set out on a routine patrol, sunny day. Five <laughs> highly experienced student pilots, which. Is a little bit of a contradiction in terms. Yeah, but I mean, these were Navy pilots, so I mean, if, I'm sure if you put them side by side to any other student pilots, sure. they would do they would dogfight them into into humiliation, into oblivion. <laughs> uh, Lieutenant Charles C. Taylor uh, led the mission, and the mission included a few course changes. Departed at one fifteen. Scheduled course changes. Yeah, basically Taylor knew what he was doing, and this was a routine flight. That's what some say. There's also speculation that's. Taylor wasn't super experienced. Really? Well, actually, the other pilots weren't super experienced and that he had a consistent record of navigation troubles, including ditching airplanes twice into the Pacific Ocean. Well, that's just routine Navy hazing. Back then. (laughs) Uh, But we'll get into that. So Taylor led the missions. Uh, They took off. uh, We're flying over Fort Lauderdale, Mm -hmm. Florida, when they heard a signal um, that they thought was from a boat or a plane in distress? No, that was Cox that heard that signal. But he was part of the, the crew, right? Huh. Or was he, it was he at the base? He was another guy who was flying over a different part of Florida. Oh, okay. Yeah. He was, he kind of tried to help them. He got the dis- distress signal and he tried to figure out where they were and was giving them, um, instructions. Okay. That makes more sense. So Cox, uh, told Taylor, fly with the sun at uh, your left wing mm-hmm. and up the coast until you see Miami, and you'll right. know my, Miami when you see it. Well, sure. Uh, Taylor said, no, 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 we're over a small island, and there's no other land anywhere. Uh, if it was the Florida Keys, which he thought it was, mm-hmm. he would have seen a bunch of islands, obviously, and Florida sure, sticking down there. And uh, they only had a couple of hours left of fuel, and then Taylor described a large island mm-hmm that they assumed was Andros Island, which is the largest island in the Bahamas. Right. And so they sent him back further instructions to get him to Fort Lauderdale. Is that right? Yeah, but there's a big part that you left out here, and this is important. Taylor reported that everything looked wrong, quote. Yeah. And that his compasses were um, going haywire. Well, yeah, true. And those are two, those are big. Yeah, those are big. When he started on this heading, his voice started coming through, uh, clearer and louder, which right. they took to mean, all right, you're headed in the right direction. Right, because the base he was talking to is in Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, so like you're getting closer, you're on the right path. Right. But Taylor said, no, 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 I don't think you're right. Uh, I don't think we went far enough east, so we're going to turn around and go east again. Um, at that point, the voice got less clear yeah. and further away, indicating that he was probably going in the wrong direction. And then that was it. They um, never heard from him again uh, or... Anybody else? They never found any wreckage, as far as I understand. They were just lost, all five Navy Avengers. Um, and there were two seaplanes that were sent out 
And one of them exploded right after takeoff, and the other one never found any trace of Flight 19. That's right. Yeah. So, um, That's in 1945. Right. So in 1952, an author, George Sand, wrote an article for Fate magazine called Sea Mystery at Our Back Door. Right. And first described a, quote, watery triangle bounded roughly by Florida, Bermuda, and Puerto Rico. And then uh, in 1964, uh, uh, sorry, Argosi Magazine finally gave the triangle its name in an article by Vincent Gaddis called The Deadly Bermuda Triangle, which is uh, a pulp magazine that writes fiction, but somehow people missed that and took it to be a real thing. Right. It even says the the magazine's tagline is a magazine of master fiction. And when you look at it, like I looked it up, it's it doesn't look like a valid. I mean, not valid, but it doesn't look like a a Newsweek. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know what you're yeah. saying. Um, part of the other, uh, I think, thing that captured the public's imagination and that was kind of lost on people was originally the Navy um, said they said that Flight 19 was lost due to pilot error. And uh, Lieutenant Taylor's family was like, no, he was way too experienced for that. There's no way he would do this. There's something else. So the Navy was pressured to change it because this this is back when the Navy was like, all right, all right, we don't want your feelings to be hurt. Right. Uh, And they changed it to um, something. uh, Cause unknown. Yes. Which Which, sounds very mysterious. Exactly. Yeah. So and if the Navy's saying we lost five fighter planes to causes unknown in this area that people are calling the Bermuda Triangle, that's what really gave the Bermuda Triangle its initial boost into the in, in capturing the public imagination. Yeah. And like I said, I've, I've looked up more on Taylor and apparently the truth is the only other four pi- or the other four pilots didn't have significant experience. Mm-hmm. Taylor had a history of getting lost and by the time of his final transmission, they were low on fuel, they weren't near land, bad weather came in. And they probably crashed and landed on the bottom of the ocean. Right. Not very mysterious. No. No. Um, but the fact that they were never heard from again, I mean, that does, again, capture the public's imagination. It does. That's what happened. They're just gone. Things yeah. aren't supposed to go, especially not airplanes. You're not supposed to not find a trace of something. Um, there have been plenty of other things that have gone missing. Like you said, a lot of them are very famous. Um one, the Mary Celeste is commonly listed on uh, as a disappearance of the Bermuda Triangle. Not so. No, no. Uh, the Mary Celeste, which was a brig from the late 19th century, I think the 1870s, um, set sail from New York to Spain and shouldn't have come anywhere near the Bermuda Triangle when it was found around the Strait of Gibraltar, floating adrift with nary a soul aboard, Good yet ship. beans still on the grill, yeah. a, a pipe still smoking, I think, when they found it. No explanation whatsoever, just gone. But yeah. it had nothing to do with the Bermuda Triangle. I wonder how it got mixed up in that, just public. Like people just claim it. Yeah. That's the problem. It's like, okay, if there is something going on here, you're not you're not helping your case in getting it across to in- incredulous skeptics, right? Yeah. By saying, plus the Mary Celeste. Right. Like, and that's something. And that was a ghost ship. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but there was there was one that is legitimately uh, chalked up to the Bermuda Triangle, the uh, Milwaukee's 440th Airlift Wing, plane 680. Yeah, let's hear about this. So in 1965, on a clear night, um, a ship, a, or I'm sorry, a um, flying boxcar, the Fairchild C-119, huge, huge old plane. It's like the Spruce Goose 
Oh, yeah? Huge. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it began, uh, it lifted off from Milwaukee uh, on its way to Grand Turk in the Bahamas, which is, that's that's like, a, that's nice duty. I'm sure. Um, and it landed at Homestead Air Force Base at 5.04 p.m., hung around for almost three hours, and then lifted off at 7.47 p.m. on its way to the Bahamas and uh, was never heard from again. Uh, after about um, halfway there, I think. Never heard from again. No one ever found a trace of it. One of the things that really um, captures the imagination about this one is it had a full crew of uh, really experienced uh, flight mechanics and flight yeah. engineers who knew what they were doing. So if there was anything that was wrong with this plane, there were plenty of people on board to fix it, right? Seemingly. But nothing. The plane's just yeah. gone forever. No trace. No one ever heard of it. Well, it said they found a few scraps of debris. Yes, but they think that that could have been scuttled. Oh, okay. It didn't appear to have undergone any damage or anything like that. Just like, a case of a good scuttling? Like there, Right. There's the Sulphur Queen. Um, which was a ship that had like 150,000 tons of molten sulfur aboard. Yeah. And they found scraps of ore and stuff like that. Right. That would indicate an explosion. Sure. There was nothing that indicated that with the, um, with plane 680. It just sank. Or, so or maybe it was lifted to a distant planet. Well, that is, <laughs> that is one explanation that people use. So let's talk about, we're going to divvy up the explanations. Into far-fetched theories, yes, which is what the article I think very fairly calls them. Sure, and a, at least using Occam's razor, uh, and then to more scientific explanations. So let's start with the in- intensely more fun and entertaining far-fetched <laughs> theories, Chuck. Yes, I mentioned UFOs and uh, alien abduction, and that is uh, a pretty hotbed of UFO sightings down there. And some people have theorized that. That's what's going on. They're they're uh, porting these ships and planes, abducting them to their uh, universe, their planet. Yeah. Or it may actually be a portal to other planets. Yes. They think that possibly if there are portals, that a blue hole. Yeah. Which there are several in the Bermuda Triangle are wormholes through dimensions or time and space, and uh, that. This is a highly trafficked portal in the Bermuda Triangle, and ships and planes get sucked into it accidentally. Right. Uh, some, Josh, think... Uh, again, these are the far-fetched theories that we're going over now. Yes. Some think, uh, Josh, that it is home to the lost city of Atlantis. who, Which may or may not have been populated by a race of aliens. Correct. They had uh, advanced technologies, some say, including a death ray weapon, some say that destroyed Atlantis eventually. Edgar Casey said it. Have you heard of him? I have. The sleeping psychic or the sleeping prophet of Virginia Beach? Yeah, he, he was really hot for Atlantis. He was. And he predicted, actually, um, that in the 60s, he didn't predict it in the 60s, he predicted that in the 60s, people would find evidence of Atlantis off the coast of Bimini. And surely enough, in 1968, was it? Yeah. They found what's known as the Bimini Road. Now, this is pretty interesting, I think. It is. It depends on your viewpoint. Sure. Like Bermuda Triangle as a whole. But, yes, there's a long, um, what looks to be a road of shaped blocks of rock. Yeah. In about 15 feet of water off the coast of Bimini. Yeah, and it's cool looking. And uh, a lot of people say, no, this is just something that happened naturally. Yes. Like a coral reef might. And others have studied it and said, you know what? These stones are shaped. 
and they're placed there very purposefully as a wall. So it's also called the Bimini Wall right. and or Road. Yeah. And uh, this could have been tied to Atlanta somehow. Could have been. A lot of people say also, look, there's tool marks on there. And then critics say, yes, uh, underwater tourists like you have used tools to take chips off of it as souvenirs. And oh, so that have scientists studying it. Yeah. Interesting. But if you look at the Bimini Wall, it is very suggestive of being shaped by man and be- being put in place. But these are like enormous rocks. So it yeah. would have taken a marvel of engineering to get those there. You know what? Jerry just interrupted the podcast, which he rarely does, and says, I dove the Bimini Road. So she's seen firsthand. I thought she said I drove it at first. And I was like, <laughs> aha, Jerry is an alien. An underwater <laughs> doom buggy. We should have just had her say it. But that Jerry, would... do you want to say it? Nah, she didn't want to say it. Okay. Because that would mean she exists. Did she beep first? She did. Wow, Jerry. So let's get back to Atlantis. Uh, they supposedly <laughs> relied on the power of special energy crystals. One of which has been recovered by a man named Dr. Ray Brown. Allegedly, Dr. Ray Brown was a diver, and in 1970, he said that he was diving down there and discovered an underwater pyramid. Made of mirrored stone. Mirrored stone. It would be just weird to see underwater. Imagine seeing a mirror pyramid. Doesn't it seem like the 70s, like 1970? Yeah, sure, it does. Yeah. Uh, he said he entered the pyramid and saw a brassy metallic rod with a multifaceted red gem hanging from the apex of the room, and directly below this rod was a stand uh, of bronze, I'm sorry, with bronze hands holding a crystal sphere four inches in diameter. It and he said, like, you know what, I'm just going to take that. It sounds like something he found at, like, Kirkland's. <laughs> you know, that sounds like a candle holder from Kirkland's, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. So he thought it was a good idea to take this. He removed it. He said, I'm not only going to take it, but I'm not going to tell anyone for five years until the great psychic seminar of Phoenix, Arizona. In 1975. When he revealed the crystal. And uh, what did they see when they gazed upon it? Not one, not twice, but thrice pyramids inside of smaller sizes, the smaller in front of the other. And some people have been said to have seen a fourth one in a deep meditative state. That's right. So basically, Dr. Brown says, hey, man, um, these these pyramids are evidence that there's some sort of electrical properties going on in this crystal, and there's probably more of these crystals down there, and that's probably what's causing all of these problems in the Bermuda Triangle. But, scoff as you might, there's apparently evidence of an underwater urban complex off the coast of Cuba that was recently discovered in the last 10 years or so. Yeah, I think it was like racquetball courts and uh, other stuff. No? <laughs> that was definitely 75. I looked this up, but I didn't get a whole lot out of it. What, what did you see? I saw that they're still looking. They're still looking? God, I've become jaded in my old age. <laughs> was that making my scoff face when you said when you said that? Scoff as you may? Yeah. Okay. Magnetic abnormalities. Uh, this one I think is sort of interesting. Uh, there's a guy, a pilot named Bruce Gernon, and he co-wrote a book called The Fog, colon, a never-before-published theory of the Bermuda Triangle phenomenon. Mm-hmm. He says that in uh, December of 1970, he was flying uh, to Bimini, clear skies when he saw this weird cloud, almost perfectly round, 
and hovering over the Miami shoreline. Right, so he goes to go around it. Goes to go around it. And the cloud moves. Cloud moves, couldn't go around it. So he said, you know what, this thing's like a tunnel now. I'm just going to fly into this tunnel, big whoop, fly out the other side, and get to my destination. He's not much of a Freudian. No. He, uh, he, he got inside the tunnel. He said he saw lines on the walls that spun counterclockwise. And my, my, I'm this guy all of a sudden. And his, his you're channeling <laughs> Bruce Gergen. Gernon. His, uh, navigational instruments were going nuts. His compass was spinning counterclockwise. He said, you know, there should be blue sky at the end of the tunnel, but there's really nothing. There's no sky. There's no ocean. There's no horizon. There's no nothing but gray haze as he's flying. Yes, which is why, that's why I said, Lieutenant Taylor saying, Everything looks weird. Yeah. My compasses are haywire. Yeah. That's why it counts. Okay. Um, he contacted Miami Air Traffic Control to get some identification. They said, uh, we don't see any planes over. On our radar, over. And then a few minutes later, they went, scratch that. We see a plane now, over. No, they didn't. They said that somebody spotted a plane over Miami, over. Oh, they didn't, they didn't spot it on the radar? No, it never okay. popped up on the radar they while it was it. in the electronic fog. Somebody okay. reported a plane flying over <laughs> Miami. Over. Over. So, uh, he said to himself, that's not possible because it takes a good hour, 15 minutes to get to Miami. I've only been up here for 47 minutes. Right. At that moment, the cloud tunnel peels away. Yeah. And the instruments go to, back to normal and he looks down and he sees Miami Beach. Dwayne Wade on the beach of, of Miami at South Beach. Yep. Playing basketball. So, uh, Gernon said that, um, this happened to him not just once, but another time with his wife. And, um, he wrote a book on it, The Fog and Never Before Published Theory of the Bermuda Triangle Phenomenon. And he basically says that there is some sort of, um, st- the force of gravity is weaker there. And so electromagnetism is allowed to escape more easily from the Earth's core. And when it does, you've got an electromagnetic storm that dissipates very quickly, but leaves this electronic fog that can just screw you up, send you off course, uh, make you lose time, and then the next thing you know, you're 100 miles off course with your compasses showing that you're dead. Well, he claims it's a time travel tunnel. So that's what he says. And he had another dude that said, hey, the same thing happened to me 10 years ago. I went through this time storm, and my watch confirmed it. Yeah. So there you have it. I'm sorry. He's saying that the magnetism is weaker in that area. Oh, is that is that what he's saying? Yeah. Okay. Um. So that's, that's the electric, electronic fog. I think he had a band called Bruce Gernon in the electronic fog. <laughs> right. Yeah. They played at that same psychic seminar that <laughs> Ray Brown debuted his... <laughs> Pyramid crystal. That's a hopping party. Um, so, Chuck, there's also, uh, basically they're saying, okay, all right, okay, 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 okay. So no aliens, no Atlantis. Okay. Let's get scientific here. Sure. Um, how about that the Bermuda Triangle is the only place where the compass, the magnetic north, true north, yeah. and geographic north line up? One of two places, right? Yes. The other one, get this is named the Devil's Sea. It's off the coast of Japan. But it doesn't necessarily hold water either. But um, so they're saying, okay, 
So how about this? And uh, that makes compasses go crazy, makes them malfunction, and therefore even a seasoned pilot could be led off course to die. So here's the mystery of the Bermuda Triangle laid bare scientifically. So what's magnetic declination? Go ahead and explain that. So magnetic declination is the distance. So you have your geographic North Pole, which yes. is constant, constantly located in the same place. That's where Santa about, lives. Right. About 1,200 miles north of the magnetic North Pole. Yes. Okay? Magnetic declination is the difference in compass degrees between um, the the two North Poles. Yes. Norths. Yes. Right? And you have to compensate for it when you're charting a course. Yeah, it moves as you travel. Well, yes, and um, it's not it's not constant. Like it's not always um, separated by the same number of degrees depending on where you are. Right. Um, there's a line, supposedly, it's an imaginary line, where true north and magnetic north are in perfect alignment. Well, it's not supposedly. Uh, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. The the agonic line is yeah. real, but it's an imaginary line. Yes. Right? Um, so uh, Sir Edmund Haley, uh, the guy who discovered Haley's Comet, said, you know what, this agonic Same guy? line. Yeah. Huh. This agonic line is, um, it moves. It's moving westward at about 0.2 degrees per year. Right. At one point, yes, the agonic line was in the Bermuda Triangle, but it hasn't been that way for a while. It's now about in the Gulf of Mexico. Do you know when it was? I don't, but it, if it's moving 0.2 degrees per year, yeah. it probably wouldn't account for all of the stuff that's gone on in the Bermuda Triangle, if a lot of stuff has gone on in the Bermuda Triangle. Right. And the other, uh, uh, I don't want to say debunk, but... The other thing to consider is that they're they're assuming that these pilots aren't accounting for the magnetic declination. Which, right. if you're an experienced I mean, pilot, then you're you're accounting for that to get your proper course. Exactly. Ahead. Like these aren't spring chickens who are sailing through the Bermuda Triangle. No, not all of them, at least. We talked about blue holes already. Yeah. AKA wormholes sure. to other dimensions and parts of the universe. Now, Chuck. Let's go on to um, the scientific or plausible theories. I like these more. Okay. Uh, weather patterns. It is a very turbulent area. You can have violent, unexpected storms that pop up seemingly out of nowhere and that dissipate really, really quick, as quick as they came, yep. that are undetected by satellites, so they can't point and say, well, there was a big storm there. You know, they'll just pop up, leave. You can have a water spout, which is... a Tornado over the ocean. They're yeah. really cool looking. But it can whip water up to about a thousand feet into the air. Sure, and if you're a small plane or even you're a larger flying plane, low. you could uh, get taken out by one of those. Yeah. Or if you're a boat or a ship parked over a water spout or traveling over a water spout, you're gone. You're gone. So that's that's one plausible explanation, which is just bad weather. Yeah, uh, underwater earthquakes. Apparently, yeah. there is. Um, a lot of seismic activity in the Bermuda Triangle, um, and that can cause what are called freak waves, which that's just sad for those waves, but they can get up to 100 feet high. And if you are a little boat, even if you're a big boat, a 100-foot wave, is you, you're gone. Yeah. Um, and one of the reasons you're gone, Chuck, is because of the underwater topography. Yeah. Um, in, in the Bermuda Triangle, there's a gentle slope away from the North American continent. Yes. And then it drops off. And yes. some of the deepest trenches on planet Earth are in that area. Right. So if you're a plane or a boat and a water spout sinks you, takes you out of the air, or a freak wave gets you, yeah. um, 
and you sink off of that shelf, the continental shelf, into the trench, you're never, ever, ever going to be found, except for maybe a civilization a couple thousand years into the future. Maybe yeah. 500. It, it sounds way more exciting on a TV show to say something like, and it was never spotted again. Right. Especially if Robert Stack is saying it. But it's not as exciting to say it was never spotted again because it sank so deep. We cannot get down there to see it. And isn't that weird <laughs> in itself? It is not weird. It uh, is weird. That's pretty creepy. That creeps me out more than the idea of like a wormhole. Oh, like how what's down there in the deep? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or like just the thought of a plane that's not that's supposed to be up in the air is down there. <laughs> uh, that part of the ocean is home to three... Uh, water currents, the jet stream, the easterlies, and the Gulf Stream. And the Gulf Stream moves really fast, which is why Dexter dumps his bodies in it. Yep. Because it's going to get washed out to sea yeah. at about five miles an hour, which, which doesn't is, sound like much. Trust us, that is fast for a current. That's fast when you're moving in the water. And if you are an inexperienced sailor, and apparently this area has a lot more inexperienced pilots and sailors because it's, I guess... It's a vacation hot spot. Touristy, sure. yeah. Um it's going to throw you off course hundreds of miles if you're not compensating for it correctly. And if they're not looking in the right place, you're 100 miles over there, you might as well be on another planet. Especially if you probed. don't know where you are. Because if you're 100 miles off course and you don't realize you're 100 miles off course, you're gone. What about this methane gas? It's sort of like the exploding lake. I think this is my this is my favorite explanation. So... There is a, There are significant deposits of things called methane hydrates, which is basically super dense methane gas in the form of ice crystals yeah. on the seafloor. Um, and when these crystals, which keep the gas in place, rupture, a huge gas bubble can make its way to the surface without any warning whatsoever in just a few seconds. And in the area of this gas bubble... The, the gas mixes with the water, making the water significantly less dense, making a ship that happens to be in this area sunk, like immediately. Yeah. It also kicks up a bunch of sediment. So uh, conceivably, a ship that is pulled down, sucked down to the bottom of the ocean, um, and then is covered with sediment is, by all intents and purposes, missing forever. Right? Yeah. It makes sense. I like the, the methane gas one. Also, if you're a plane... Conceivably, this gas explosion, this rupture, yeah. uh, would be flammable. Sure. And if you have electrical equipment, you could conceivably catch fire. Who knows? I like it more for a ship yeah. because it makes sense, like just the water basically bottoming out yeah. beneath the ship. Uh, maybe. But that's basically the same concept as the um, death ray crystal, except <laughs> like we've seen these things. Right. And they're there. That's true. Uh I read this this one guy's article this morning, and and he talked about a guy named Larry Kush, uh, or Kush, and this guy he was at the 1975 conference no, in Phoenix too. He wasn't, was he? I don't think so. If he was there, he was throwing tomatoes at him. Oh, okay. Because he's one of these guys. It's like you know what? I'm going to really investigate everyone who's investigating, and he researched dozens and dozens of articles and books and TV shows, and he said, you know what? Not many of these people did any real investigation. They're all telling the same stories over and over and over yeah. to sell papers or advertising on TV. And he says, you know what? They're just passing on speculation as its truth. 
And what we've got here is communal reinforcement over the years of people that really got into this whole thing. Yeah. And that's really all it is. It's it's boats sink, planes crash. Sometimes they don't get found. End of story. That's what he says. <laughs> and uh, here endeth your childhood. <laughs> pirates, too, they say. Yeah. Modern-day pirates are, or could be uh, missing. Especially ships. before the DEA shut down the um, Caribbean for smuggling and basically threw Mexico into a pit of living hell. So some plausible, some far-fetched. There's the Bermuda Triangle. I think this is a, a good lesson, and um, it's like what we do when we're doing research. If you come across the same story, and it's told in almost the exact same way, using the same wording yeah. across site after site after site, it's just like you said, communally reinforced. Yeah, and it's not necessarily true. But if you while away your hours and spend your time researching the Bermuda Triangle and getting into it, and it tickles your fancy, more power to you. Yeah, I'm not going to poo-poo it. It's, it's fun. He just spent like 40 minutes poo-pooing it. No, I just, I believe it's just boat sinking and planes crashing. Well, it also, you know, raises the question, is there even a significant amount of right. loss compared to other places? Doesn't seem like it. Huh. Well, anyway, that's the Bermuda Triangle. If you want to learn more about it, you can read the article on the site called Bermuda Triangle. Just type that into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And we'll bring it up. And I said search bar, so it's time for listener mail. That's right, Josh. I'm going to call this uh, NAST, Thomas NAST email. Oh, okay. This from NAST himself? No, no. He's not alive anymore. Uh, this is from Evan B. And Evan says, I was just listening to the podcast on political animals. It was the one on the Republican elephant and sure. the Democrat donkey. Yeah. Uh, I have an interesting story involving Thomas NAST. Uh, I have an elderly neighbor. About a year ago, my mom started working for him as an aide. He was going through his, uh, I'm sorry, he was going through financial troubles. He mentioned selling a painting he had bought years ago when he lived in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. It was a painting of the head of Christ, and it turns out it was a Thomas Nast original. Uh, this is very interesting to learn because Nast is known for his political works and not necessarily uh, religious ones. My mom took the painting to be appraised, and it was valued at about $200,000. Holy cow. Turned out to be somewhat of a generous estimate, but the painting was still very valuable nonetheless. Uh, The painting was placed in Skinner's Auction House, set to auction in the fall, but did not sell, unfortunately. However, it is going to be back up for auction again at the next uh, Skinner's Auction. And I'm happy that I finally have a relevant story to email you guys about. I love it when people say that. Like, I've always wanted to email in, but I've never had anything right. to say until now. But and, but usually when they say that, it's something significant. You can email in to say hi. That's fine. Yeah, but you're not going to get read on the air unless it's significant. Oh, is that what it's all about? That's what I said. It has nothing to do with telling us hi, huh? So that's Evan B. and his mom. That's a great story. Yeah. I love ones like that. Like, have you ever heard the one about the lady who found, like, 150 grand in cash in, like, a fire extinguisher? That never happens to me. Yeah. Or rarely. I love those. Yeah. Um, Well, that is it for Unsolved Mysteries. We appreciate you joining us. And uh, if you want to get in touch with us, if you want to tell us hi, you can just tell us hi. It's fine. Um, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash stuff you should know. Or you can send us a plain old fashioned email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. 
more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?